If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 16. A alternative title to this sermon should be, uh, could have been, I Need a Text. I was asked by, by Jordan to, you know, come up with what my heart is and preach a vision, you know, what, how do I see my ministry at the church, and in my mind I have a couple of ideas. So with that in mind, I started searching for a text. And I, I can tell you as having uh, went through seminary, preaching classes, homiletics courses, that's not how you do things. And I found it much more comfortable when Jordan would say, here it's Exodus chapter 16, you got six weeks for it, it's these four verses. And then you can take it and and look at the text without any preconceived ideas and and extract or exegete what you believe God is teaching you from that text and then give it to the people. So I found this entire task of searching for a text uh, not good. I, I, so, I, I, looking for this type of text, so I just started, and I said, well, it's going to be from Paul, I know that, so let's just start at, you know, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, if he, and, and look, at the, look at the greetings at the end, and look at the, you know, the, the, the beginning of each book, and let's, I'll find something that makes sense. Well, I did, I found uh, uh, verse 17 through 20 in, in uh, Romans chapter 16. And those verses say, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Man, I could go somewhere with that. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. For by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And then, really, this beautiful three-point outline in verse 19, for your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you. But I want you to, number one, be wise as to what is good. Isn't that good? Two, be innocent as to what is evil. And finally, what I think may be my favorite or one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, this fabulous verse of, of the Apostle Paul in 1620 that says, And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. <laughs> And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So I thought, oh, there's my outline. And as is custom then, I would go through the text to try to see how it lines in context and everything else. And I started at verse 1 of of chapter 16 and started reading. And these these greetings of Paul just seemed to bounce out at me. And I I loved them. And I kept, you know, going over them. And then I, you know, read uh, had a couple of commentaries on what they said. And finally, I just said, I'm scrapping the the other stuff, and I'm going to take this greetings, and I'm going to work out. So really, this is greetings from a pastor, Paul to his beloved Romans, and me to you. So let's read chapter 16, verses 1 through 16, and for the reading, I'm only going to go uh, verses 1 through 3 and 16, because we're going to hit everything in the text as we go along. So let's read together, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Cancrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Verse 3, 
Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And then verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Father, may the heart of this apostle come through, and not only his love for the people, but most of all, his love of his Savior. In Christ's name, amen. So this Phoebe is an interesting character. Phoebe is used as an example to prove that deaconesses should be ordained in the church of Christ. And granted, the word for servant here from Phoebe uh, is a form of diaconate, but not the actual word that is translated or could be as deaconess. But nevertheless, it's interesting how Paul, in this list of greetings, and by the way, there are 27 names mentioned between 16 and uh, 16.1 and 16.16. There are 27 names, 10 of them women, and I think it may be the best example of Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and and 29 that we could ever find in the Scriptures. And let me read that. You can follow along if you would like in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is, neither, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Paul can't help himself. He, he lives and breathes and bleeds covenant, and he needs to stick that covenant in at the end in verse 29. But the state of the church now, I would maintain that if any verse is needed, it's verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Does that mean there were no women or men or no slaves in the church or free people or Jews or Greek? No. They were all there, as we'll see in our text, because every one of them are identified multiple times in our text. It's just that it didn't matter. They that were in Christ Jesus were reconciled together, regardless of race, regardless of status, regardless of gender, as we'll see. And it's interesting that Paul does start out with this commendation of our sister Phoebe. Now, it's worth noting what the background or provenance of the book of Romans is. For most likely, it is actually Phoebe herself that is taking this manuscript from the Apostle Paul to the church, and that may be churches, of Rome. It's actually her. And the reason why we believe that is is what Paul says here. He says that I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now, in those days, there wasn't a mail system. There wasn't FedEx. There was no Amazon delivery. 
there was simply people carrying documents and carrying letters to each other all over the empire. Now, Rome itself did have a form of governmental mail delivery, but that was only for the uh, the ruling Romans and the military. There was not, nothing for the normal person. And why would and why would Paul give this book or letter to Phoebe to take? Well, why use couriers? Well, there's three reasons why they did. The first was simply reliable delivery. If I give something to a friend of mine and say, you're going to this town, would you please do this? Yeah, I'll do that for you. There's a personal connection, and you feel pretty reliable that that letter is going to get where it's intended. Second, there's protection from fraud and extortion. So if it, let's say a, uh, Paul had given it to a Roman soldier that was going back, would you, could you deliver this to this house, and I'll, you know, I'll give you this money to do that? Well, it would it would be very easy for them to extort money from the people that were getting this message or whatever, or possibly even change the message. And finally, there was a matter of authenticity of both authorship and purpose of this letter or this delivery going from one person to another. And in the case of Phoebe, Paul says, that I commend this sister to you that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever, may, whatever she may need from you. And then Paul starts, and he'll take this all the way through the next 16 verses, where he's putting something of value, something that he, that he treasures from these people. And for her, it was that she had been a patron of many, and myself as well. In other words, this lady had money and means and most likely an entourage to go with her into Rome to, and this, th that this letter would be delivered. And Paul says that she's been a patron or supported many, and that she's supported me as well. So why would Paul, in this letter that actually has become his magnum opus, if you think of theology and the Apostle Paul, you think of the book of Romans. But it's really interesting that although it was certainly heavily in content of, of uh, the deep things of God, he gives it to a lady to deliver, and it's actually written to these common, ordinary people. Now, as we go through this list, I want you to keep three things in mind because all of these names and associated uh, attributes really fit into three buckets here. They fit into what we would say, number one, is a, is a sovereign foundation of the church. There's sovereignty in God's movement of how he puts churches together, and there's no different in this church. Secondly, you will see that there's a united cause and purpose in the work of these saints and work they do. And then finally, we'll see that there is a bond that bonds them, that binds them together, this group of folks, and no different than any other church, including this one. And that which binds us together is our love for Christ and subsequently our love for each other. That's what binds us together. So keep those in mind, and we'll make reference to them as we're going through these. So let's just go through them one by one, and we'll get to the end and how about it? Verse 3, <clears throat> after 
commending Phoebe. Listen to her. He says, greet Prisca and Aquila. We, you know them also as uh, Aquila and Priscilla. He says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life. We don't know how that happened and when it happened. It could have happened in Ephesus, but there was something that happened. And of course, we know who Aquila and Priscilla are, don't we? They were the ones that showed Apollos the right way, saying, no, it is right for you, Apollos, to baptize infants. You better start doing it. Well, we don't know that's what he said. Uh, it could have been. It may have been. But they showed him the way more rightly. And I like to think there's a good chance that maybe that was what they talked about, because it is the more right way. But he, they risked their necks for Paul, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Their reputation, Priscilla and Aquila, went to all the churches of the Gentiles. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Apinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. We don't know anything else about this man other than he came, he was one of the first to come to faith in Asia. Greet Mary, another lady, who has worked hard for you. Are you starting to see the pattern? She worked hard for you. Thanks uh, that, uh, that uh, they, they risked their necks for my sake. That Epaphras, who was the first convert, who worked hard. Verse 7, greet uh, Andronicus and Junia, another man and wife. My kinsman. There's our first Jewish person. Paul says, this is my kinsman. And my fellow prisoners, that they are well known to the apostles. And they were in Christ before me. Paul says, don't forget this husband and wife that's there. I know them, love them. And they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Here's our third thing, this, this pattern that happens. Those that are working for a purpose, brought together sovereignly, bonded together in this love, my beloved. He goes on to say, greet Urbanus our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved, Stachus. These are two slave names. As a matter of fact, Urbanus, a very popular slave name, means city. So we could just say, this is a city slave. And just the opposite, Stachus means ear of grain. This was a country or a field slave. But we wouldn't know that by the text. They're just put in there with everybody else. My beloved, my fellow worker. Greet Apelles. This Apelles is an interesting fella. It says, uh, greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. And the language here is someone who has come through a fire. Somebody has, who has been tried and found faithful. So whoever this Apelles is. And you know, I imagine someday we'll be in heaven and... All of a sudden, you know, we may be walking somewhere or doing something, and, and someone might say, hey, did you ever meet Apelles? Oh, you mean the guy that Paul, yo, hey, yo, tell me all about, what does that mean? These are, these are people like us that will be with us in eternity that God has sovereignly used for his building of his work. 
Greet those who belong to the family of Aristopolis. Another Jew, greet my kinsman Herodin. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. And the ESV talks about family, but the word also is used in other translations of households, which have the connotation of more, of multiple people, which would include many times children and slaves as well. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord. Again, our second focus, the workers of the Lord. And these two are real interesting, both girls. It's Tryphena and Tryphosa. Many people believe these were twin young girls. Greet the beloved Persis, who again has worked hard in the Lord. You see the... What, what Paul's trying to say over and over is this work, beloved. I love this one. Greet Rufus. Rufus means redhead. He's saying, greet the redhead. His name's Rufus. Chosen of the Lord. Now, in a sense, every one of these believers are chosen, aren't they? But obviously, this Rufus was chosen for a specific reason. And then it says, also, his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. He knew Rufus's mother. Now, it's interesting. There is only one other Rufus in the New Testament, and you may know who or what this where this Rufus was mentioned, and he's mentioned as a son of Simon of Cyrene, the one who carried the Lord's cross as he went to Golgotha. And it mentions Simon of Cyrene, does not mention his mother or his wife, who also acted as a mother to the Apostle Paul, but it mentions his two children, almost in passing in, in Mark chapter 5, I believe. And it's that that Simon of Cyrene, carrying Christ's cross, had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. And here's Rufus. And then we've got what, what appears to be a fraternity of guys. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegion, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with him. These are the the uh, college and career guys. I think about the group that meets with Jordan early, early on Tuesday mornings. Greet them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister. We don't know who she, she is. Someday we'll say, there's Nereus. Hey, what was your sister's name? Well, she was this. Why did Paul put her in? I don't know, but he did. And Olympus. And all the saints who are with them. A couple of questions. What would my greetings be like if I was gone and writing an epistle or a letter back to Redeemer? I might say something like, maybe addressed to Jordan or maybe Seth, and I would say something like, Greet Stuart and Linda. 
those always about the church doing stuff. I might say, greet Jan and Mark. Of course, in that order. Greet Jan and Mark and the band that followed them from California to worship with you. I might say, greet Cause and those of his household next to the church. Something like that, that I had an affinity with these people, and they had an affinity with me, and I would want them to be greeted. And I think that's exactly what Paul is doing here. But a couple of things that may shock you. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. And the idea that we want to think here is, how did Paul know these folks? And in Romans chapter 1, take a look at verse 13. Paul starts out this book and says in verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. Paul is speaking and writing and greeting people. For the most part, he has never met. He doesn't know them. Now, he may know, we know he knows Priscilla and Aquila. He knows Phoebe, commended to the church in there. But how many of these did, did Paul know? And how did he know them? And scholars have pondered this. He's never been to Rome. He says he desperately wants to go to Rome. But I think the answer has to be clear. It has to be. Look at verse chapter 8, just right above. Actually, start at 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. First, I thank God. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. This is like the pre-greeting. I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now look at verse 9. For God is my witness. Whatever he said, we better listen to. How many times have you said that? I promise. God is my witness. This is happening. He's about to tell you something that he needs you to be double-dog sure is true. He says in verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Now listen. That without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. It has to be the fact that Paul heard of Rome, the, the, the Christians in Rome, and the stories. Who knows what other correspondence passed oh, through uh, Macedonia and all the way up to Rome and maybe back, but tales of persecution, tales of uh, beloved brothers and sisters taking care of themselves in rough conditions, and Paul so desperately wants to go meet these brothers, but he says, I promise you, as God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, without ceasing, I pray for you. 
I will tell you, brothers and sisters, there is no way, and we do it, I think, fairly well, not as well as we could, but there is no way if we actually pray for each other, when we see each other, we won't have a bond. And if we're praying for each other, we get to know each other. Paul knew these people in faith through his praying for them. He'd never been there. How could he have this bond of love? He knew the same Savior who saved them and who saved them the same way. As we close, two practical takeaways from the text, trying desperately to stay in my appointed Sunday night time limit. Hard. As we close, two practical takeaways. Number one, did Paul finally make it to Rome? If you flip back from Romans 1, just a page to the end of Acts chapter 28, the answer is yes. Paul finally makes it back. And can you imagine, uh, after having the correspondence, after seeing these brethren, having Paul in Rome, putting a face to Apelles and Rufus, he says this. But before, just remember the circumstances. Paul leaves in chapter 27 to come to Rome. And you remember he has that terrible shipwreck toward the end of, of Acts chapter 27 and ends up on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean not knowing where he was. He finds out later that it's the island of Malta. And the first thing he finds is these native, you know, crazy people and he's sitting by the fire. And remember, he's in chains. He's in, under house arrest going to Rome. And they see him being accused criminal, and they say in Acts 27, well, this man must be a murderer. He must have done something really bad. And then it's cold, and a storm comes up, and they have a fire on the beach or wherever they were. And the text says that Paul reaches in to some sticks to put them on the fire, and a viper grabs onto his arm. And all the people say, aha, okay. You see, He's getting his all. That murderer is going to go down. Let's just watch the fireworks. And they're, they're ready for this thing to swell up and for Paul to, you know, succumb and fall down dead. And the text says, Paul simply shakes the serpent in the fire. <laughs> Nothing. What do they do then? Oh, he must be a god. And then they write down to, to worship him. So Paul gets there, and it's another three months. He, they go to Sicily, the little, the little island with the boot the soccer ball that the boot of Italy is kicking, and they take off from Syracuse, and it's another three months winding their way around, and he finally gets to Rome. And we end up at uh, verse 28 of Acts 28, and we see really Paul's first words of his heart as to why he is there. He makes it to Rome with his, these brothers that we've, he's greeted, and he says this, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. King James here says, uh, let, it for, let it be known to you that this salvation has come to the Gentiles and they will hear it, is what he says. It's his heart. It's the common uh, 
It's the common work and common purpose. And then we finish out Acts 28 that says this. And he lived there two whole years in his luxury suite on the beach. Now, he lived there two whole years at his own expense. He actually was under house arrest until he was fully arrested under Nero and killed in Rome, dying in the Mamertine prison. But he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came. This is what he did for two years. He, A, welcomed all that come to him. What did he do? Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance, and no bell. He would not be quiet. He preached the gospel of Christ until he died. That was his mission. These people were sovereignly brought together. Nobody could, could script this except a holy God building a people for himself. They were united in this purpose of the gospel and working together. They worked, they worked, they worked. And they were bound together in this love for Christ and for each other. And finally, yeah, we do have to go there as we close Verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't know what that's like in our culture. We don't do that. My father was a kisser, as my wife can attest. He liked to kiss people. I have a little bit of that in him. I planted one on, on Bryant right there this morning. <laughs> Greet one another with a holy kiss. We would believe that that's a a handshake. And there's nothing wrong with a handshake. And when we do, at least smile and act like you care about the person you're greeting. But isn't there something about a holy kiss, an embrace, that says, yeah, I'm here and you're here, and we love each other for nothing that has to do with us. There's something greater. We are are united in this purpose. We have a purpose. You are my family. Yes, I have brothers and sisters and mom and dad, but you are my family. And I greet my family with a hug and a kiss, and I greet you that way. Sinclair Ferguson, on this text, says something that I will never forget. I just love it. And if you know Dr. Ferguson... uh, Dr. Ferguson does a couple of things. Uh, When he's lecturing, he'll sometimes turn the mic off and make his way around to the front. And when we had him for class, Seth and I would sit right in the front, and he'd literally go right in front of us, doing doing his thing. And those are some of the greatest memories I have. But on this text, Sinclair chuckles. He says something like this, and he says, (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) The Apostle Paul. Finally, getting to Rome, let the kissing begin. (laughs) Let the kissing begin, brothers and sisters, and let all the churches of Christ greet you. This is my prayer for us, that we truly know and appreciate and love both the gospel who sovereignly comes to us, that there's a sovereign reason we're all together. He's brought us here. We're united in our work, tirelessly for the kingdom of Christ and for each other. 
with the purpose of the proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And finally, we're bonded together in love for this Savior and each other. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this greeting from a pastor. We thank you for this man's heart. Oh, Lord, I cannot wait to meet the Apostle Paul. He will probably say something like, well, yeah, I did. it was Christ, it was Christ. He was always deflecting, always deflecting. But, oh, Lord, you used this man of God. We love him. Lord Jesus, help us as a church to be a people that love each other, a people that are committed to the same purpose, the purpose of the gospel, whether it's building programs, Sunday school classes, what we do things for you and your kingdom, and we work hard. We love it. And finally, Lord, will you help us to love each other in a way that defies all normal human interaction. Father, may a dying world that knows not of you see us and say, I want what they have. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for the gospel ministry. Thank you for this place. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Will you stand and uh, sing our final hymn of response? Take my life and let it be.